You all totally messed me up. (laughs) Thank you. Today we continue our series on fundamental doctrines that we as Christians hold. Thus far we have looked at the Bible because it is out of the Bible that our beliefs come. We focused on God the Father, looked at the Trinity. Last week our subject was Satan, and today it is the nature of man. Now if I were to ask you the question, do you believe that man is basically good or basically evil, how would you respond? Now, we all understand that, that good people do bad things and bad people do good things. So I'm talking about the essence of man. I'm talking about the core of man. Is man basically good or is man basically evil? The reason that is important is because your answer will determine how you relate to the world. Now, there are those who believe that man is basically good. Rousseau, the post-Renaissance philosopher, said that man was basically good. That was his belief. How does that work out? Well, as he looked at it, as they looked at it at the time, individuals were equal, but society was unequal. Therefore, the criminality of the individual was in response to the inequality of society. So then, how does policy relate to that? If you believe that, how does policy relate to that? Well, that's where redistribution of wealth comes. For instance, if you believe that society is unequal and must be corrected then there is a redistribution of wealth. Because if there are people who have a lot of money and there are people who do not, they are very poor, then in order to equalize society, one would take from those who have to give to those who have not. It has nothing to do with deserving. It has nothing to do with hard work. It has nothing to do with risk. In this approach, everyone gets a trophy. So if someone has a lot of money, you take and give to those who do not. On a national scale, if there is a country that is more powerful, more influential than other countries, then you would reduce the footprint, the influence, the power of this country so that it becomes a nation among nations. The primary response to world peace is through diplomacy, and so Diplomacy is primarily used. The reason for that is because man is basically good, therefore man will do good since he is good. There are others, however, who believe that man is basically evil. Hobbes, the 16th century philosopher, believed that man was basically evil. I would say also that conservative Christians believe that. So how does that work out in policy? If one believes that man is basically evil, what is the policy? Well, then there have to be laws to restrain man since he's basically evil. There has to be a strong military to protect nations because man is basically evil. Now, to me, this is the irreconcilable conflict that we have in our society today. There are those who believe that man is basically good, 
and policies reflect that, there are those who believe that man is basically evil and their policies reflect that. So what does the Bible say? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 26 and we're going to look at several verses as we go along today. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface and of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, And to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. All right? Now let's, let's begin as we look at this. God created man, and the Bible says that God created man good. In fact, it says that he was very good. So when God created man, he created him good. He was created in the image of God. In verse number 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Well, obviously that does not refer to our physical bodies because God is a spirit. So what does he mean when the Bible says that God created man in his image? What does that mean? Well, it is a reference to the spirit of man, to the soul of man. Matthew Henry wrote, it is the soul, the great soul of man that does especially bear God's image. The soul is a spirit, an intelligent, immortal spirit, an influencing, active spirit, herein resembling God the Father of spirit. So the Bible says that God created man within the image of God, speaking of his spirit, and then man is like God in that he is given authority. You'll notice there in verse number 26b, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So when God created man, created him in his image, he gave him dominion over creation. And so, like God, man then has been given authority, created in the image of God, given authority, and also was created in purity. The scripture says in Ephesians 4:24, "Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So when God created man, he was created in righteousness and in holiness. So the scripture tells us that when God created man, that he was good. He was very good. He was created in the image of God. 
And then the Bible says that he was created of the ground. In chapter 2, verse number 7, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Okay, so when the Bible says that God created man in his image, speaks of his spirit, then it says that he was created from the dust of the ground, speaks of his body. So God created man in spirit and also in body. Now, there is a play on words in the Hebrew language. For instance, when it says, formed man, that is Adam, from the ground, that is Adama. So it is very similar. The words are very similar, which means that God created man then, his body, he created man out of the dust of the ground. Matthew Henry wrote, he was not made of gold dust, powder of pearl, or diamond dust, but common dust, dust of the ground. So God created our bodies then from the dust of the ground, and man then has always related to the earth. I suppose in part it is because we came out of the earth. We were created out of the earth from the dust of the ground. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man is from the earth earthy. The word earthy literally means made of dust. So when God created you, he created you out of dust. When God created man, his body, he was made from the earth. He was created out of dust. We are sustained by the earth. The scripture says in Job 28 verse 5, the earth, from it comes food. So it, it, we were created out of the earth. The earth sustains us. Our food comes from the earth. Yesterday, John and Ruby brought me some tomatoes. Now, I can't plant anything. If I plant it, it will die. So they, they brought some tomatoes. And, you know, you put a seed in the ground, and, and after a while, if you know what you're doing, those things will grow, and up comes the tomatoes. And so, very good. But it is the earth that sustains us. So we were created out of the earth. Our bodies were created out of the earth. The earth sustains us, and when we die, we're buried in the earth. And the Bible says that we are to glorify God with our earthly bodies. That your body is to be offered to God as a sacrifice. The scripture says in Romans 12 verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay? So as we see creation, it began, God created man in his image, his spirit, out of the ground, his body, and the Bible says that he's good. He is very good. When God created man, he was very good. But then sin defiled man. Then sin came into the picture, and since Adam, man has been basically evil. God created man. He was good. He was very good. Sin came in, defiling man. And from since Adam, man has been basically evil. Now we see the process, the temptation, in chapter 3, verse number 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her 
and he ate. Now, have you noticed that Satan has never changed his strategy? I mean, all the way back to Eve, he has never changed because it still works. The Bible says that she saw. Eve saw no harm whatsoever in eating the forbidden fruit because the Scripture says in Genesis 2-9, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So as far as Eve was concerned, there was no difference. I mean, this forbidden fruit and the regular fruit that was there, there was no difference. God had made it all. I mean, God had created it. It was all good. It was all pleasant. So she saw no problem with that. In fact, the Bible says that she desired it. It was desirable. That that is forbidden is always more desirable, is it not? If something is forbidden, that's just what we have to have. And, and Eve imagined that this fruit was going to be better than the other fruit. The Bible says that it would make one wise. And so she wanted this fruit. She desired this fruit because it would make one wise. You've seen that temptation, haven't you? The forbidden is desired because it's better. I've known, watched, and seen lots of times, too many times, some guy who's married, he has a family and so forth, and maybe at work or somewhere in his pattern he meets someone else and after a little flirtatious and then after a while they get together and he decides you know I'm going to leave that that woman she's sort of like an anchor holding me back anyway I, I think this one's a whole lot more fun she looks better and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this one. and it almost never turns out as he imagined it would that that is forbidden is always more desirable and the Bible says, so she desired it, and she took it. Satan didn't force her to. He presented it. He, he brought her attention to it. He did not force her. She took it, choosing to disobey the Lord. And then the Bible says that she gave it to her husband. We want people to join us in our sin because that reinforces our disobedience. Students, this is a good word for you. If you have friends who are disobedient to God and the things of God, they are going to do everything they can to get you to join with them because it justifies what they are doing. We like to have company in our disobedience. If you have friends who are disrespectful to their parents and to authority, they will try to get you to be disrespectful to your parents and to authority because it justifies them in their disobedience to God. And there's always consequence to disobedience. We can choose to disobey. And we might get someone else to join us in our disobedience, but there are always consequences to it. And there was with Adam and Eve. Look at chapter 3, verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now prior to this disobedience they had anticipated the Lord. They looked forward to hearing his footsteps. They looked forward to meeting with him. But now then that disobedience has come in, now that sin has come in, they are trying to hide from the Lord. That's what we do, isn't it? When we allow sin to come into our lives, we stop going to church. Don't go down there. They'll make you feel guilty. 
Whenever sin comes into our lives, we stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. We stop worshiping. We stop doing those things because we are trying to hide from God, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did. And then the blame game came around in chapter 3, verse number 12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I think that's an amusing passage of Scripture. God said, Adam, what in the world have you done? He said, that woman. That woman. Eve, what did you do? That serpent. And both of them blamed God. Adam said, the woman, where'd she come from? The woman you gave me. I didn't ask for her. I didn't even know what she was. The woman you gave me, she gave me and told me to eat, and I did. Eve said, the serpent that you put in the garden. So they both blamed God. So there goes the blame game. Not my fault. It isn't my fault. It's someone else's fault. Unfortunately, it gets worse. There's murder in chapter 4, verse number 8. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Folks, let me tell you something. Unchecked sin in your life will take you to places you don't expect to go. You will pay a price that you do not expect to pay. I don't think that they were expecting murder, but this is the result of disobedience. There's disobedience, and then it begins to grow. And then the Bible tells us that there is corruption of society in chapter 6, verse number 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God does not ignore man's disobedience. There was disobedience, there are the consequences, and God does not ignore it. In chapter 7, verse number 4, For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. There was the flood. Ladies and gentlemen, there is always consequence to sin. Listen. Some of you think that you're getting, getting by with some stuff right now. You're not. There is always consequence to sin. For believers, sometimes it is that our prayers are not heard. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. When we entertain sin in our lives and wonder why our prayers are not being answered, why we are powerless in prayer, that might be the reason. Prayers are not answered. Sin enslaves us. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Folks, we begin to sin because we choose to. We continue to sin because we are enslaved by it. When you begin, it's because you choose it. You continue it because you don't have the power to get out of it. And then there's the pain of sin in Proverbs 12, 21, the wicked are filled with trouble. All right, so when we look at this passage of Scripture, asking the question about the nature of man, God created man good. Man was defiled by sin 
and was evil. Now here's the good news. God offers to restore man. If you'll look back in chapter 3, verse number 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That is the first promise of the Messiah. All right, so God created man. He was good. Man sinned against God. He is evil. God promises a Savior. What is the process? The Scripture says, then we need to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 7, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You see, folks, when we sin, when man sinned against God, we were separated from God. The Scripture says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And that is the reason that we must be Born again. Albert Barnes wrote, It was not sufficient to be a Jew or to acknowledge him to be a teacher sent by God, that is the Messiah. It was necessary, in addition to this, to experience in his own soul that great change called the new birth or regeneration. Through the new birth, that, that is sinful can then become holy. Because when someone is born again, when someone is converted, they become a new creation. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Barnes said it means evidently that there is a change produced in the renewed heart of man that is equivalent to the act of creation and that bears a strong resemblance to it, a change, so to speak, as if the man was made over again and has become new. Through the power of God, that that is evil can become holy. That that is sinful can become righteous. Barnes continued, there is an exertion of divine power in the conversion of the sinner as really as in the act of creating the world out of nothing. Just as God spoke the world into existence, creating it out of nothing so he can take a sinner and change us. Same power, same God, making us a new person. Now then, we were sinful And now then we are made new, a new creation. But now as new creatures, we still have, we have two natures. See, God created man, he was good. Man became evil. Man is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now then man has two natures. Paul said, I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. So even after becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I have the old sinful nature that I received from Adam and I have the new nature that I received from Jesus Christ. So I have these two natures. So do you if you're a Christian. If you've been born again, you have two natures. There's the old nature, the sin nature of Adam. There's the new nature of Jesus. And the one that dominates your life is the one you feed. 
If you feed the old nature, that is going to dominate. If you feed the new nature, that is going to dominate. So God restored man, born again, become a new creature. And now then the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we've been born again. The Holy Spirit now begins to work to conform us to Jesus. We were were created in the image of God in spirit, in authority. He gives us dominion over creation and in purity. But we fell when we disobeyed God. Man disobeyed God and then he fell. So at salvation then, God recreates us in the image of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Now, I know there are a couple of terms in there that are scary. Foreknew, God. Who God foreknew? Maybe He didn't foreknow me. What that literally means is that when, that of all the billions of people on this earth, God knew that you were going to be born. God knew you were going to be here. He knew you were going to be here. He, isn't that amazing that God knows you? He foreknew you. He knew that you were going to be born. And then predestined. Stedman said, it simply tells us that God has selected beforehand the goal toward which he is going to move every one of us who believes in Christ. That goal is conformity to the character of Christ. God knew that you were going to be here. And he predestined that you would become like Jesus after you put your faith in him. That's his goal. Predestined that you would become like Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit begins to work to work in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus. So, folks, everything that happens in your life as a believer, if you are a believer, everything that happens in your life, the Holy Spirit is at work using for the purpose of conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be just like Jesus. So let me conclude. Man, good or evil? When God created man, he created him perfect. He was good, very good, according to Scripture. Man then disobeyed God. Sin came into the picture. And now the Bible says that man is evil. Man became an evil person. Sin came in, disobedience. Man became evil from the time of Adam. Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking all our sins upon himself. Paying for our sin that we might what? That we might be recreated. That we might become a new creature in Jesus Christ, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We become a new person. And so we have to make a decision as a man being good, then evil. Now then we have to make a decision as to how we go forward. As to whether or not we're going to be obedient to God. I mean, we get aggravated at Adam and Eve, don't we? Why'd they do that? Things that have been so... Let me tell you, to be honest with you, had they not done it, I would have, and you'd still been messed up. I mean, and, and if I hadn't done it, you would, because that's what we would have done. God has provided salvation to provide you with a new life in Christ. So you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Harry Ironside told about a man who was giving his testimony. The man told about how God had graciously loved him and and sought him and found him and forgave him and restored him, saved him and all that. He he was just thrilled that God had changed his life. Ironside said that there was a 
a man who came up to him after he had given his testimony, who was somewhat legalistic in his theology. And the man said to him, you know, I appreciate what you said about what God did for you, but you didn't say anything about your part. Salvation is really part us and part God. And you should have mentioned something about your part. And the man said, oh, I apologize. I really should have mentioned that. My part was running away, and his part was running after me until he found me. See, folks, that's the way that it works. We try to hide from the Lord. We do all of that, and because he loves you, he continues to pursue you that he might change your life. Have you ever allowed him to do that in your life? If not, I pray that you would today. That you would allow him to make you new, a new person, forgiven, a child of God. Would you do that? Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the grace of Jesus and the provision of his sacrifice on the cross. Fathers, we come to this invitation time. I pray that you'll speak to hearts. Those who have never trusted you would. That they might be forgiven and saved, made new in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We'll extend an invitation. If you've never committed your life to Christ, do so today. We'll have staff members here to pray with you and receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.